and welcome to the Men Up Podcast. I am Christian Shabu. Will Van Dyke. What up, y'all? Lamar Womble. And thank you for joining us this week and every week as we dig into culture, current events, and our own events, and as we redefine manhood and masculinity so that all of us, however you identify, can thrive. And before we get into today's episode, we'd like to ask you that if you're listening right now, if you end up leaving with a level up, that you please continue to support us by getting those reviews in, giving us your feedback, giving us those five-star reviews if we earn it this episode and have earned it all throughout season four so that we can continue to spread the good word of the Men Up podcast throughout all our communities. So we are at the end here of season four. And if you've been with us, if you've listened to all the episodes, if you haven't, go back and listen to them. But you know that we start off season four with a shot of hope. And for the only shot of hope for today, I want to shout out this team and the greater men up team. This is a team that when I sent out text messages, emails to them, reflecting on a book I've been reading recently, which is All About Love by Bell Hooks. If you haven't read it, please read it. It's incredible. When I said to the team, hey, here's this book, I'd love to give you all a copy and would love for us to have a conversation about it as a whole team. There were no questions about it, only yeses. And that's really powerful to me to know that I have a community of men around me that are doing work to create a thing through Men Up Broadly, but also are willing to come together to meet one another, continue to meet one another, whether it is in person or online and have really meaningful conversations is just really powerful and transformative. If you had asked me when I was 16 years old, would I eventually have a group of guys that into my 30s, 40s, and 50s, I'd be having a book club with talking about deep ideas of love. I would have never envisioned that. And yet here we are today. And also shout out to folks like Thomas and Steve, who were on earlier this season and also talked about starting book clubs with other like-minded, like-spirited men as well. There's some really powerful work happening there for men to do a lot of reflection and, and taking in information that's been there all along, like bell hooks, like other folks, and really start to move in different ways. So that is what is giving me hope. We are going to get into game time here today. We are going to get into the topic of today's episode. If you've been with us, you know that this season we are focused on hope, but we are also focused on the urgency of now, digging into topics and moments that are really clear to us that the time is now to redefine manhood and masculinity and to undo so much of the harm uh, that has existed now and for many generations uh, because of patriarchy. So, Will, I'm going to pass it over to you. And today's topic is going to be about uh, the ongoing discussion, misinformation around CRT, critical race theory. Um, I want to start off our conversation with two facts. And I think that this is um, fundamental to sort of where this conversation both started and sort of how it's being framed. CRT is actually a grad in law school uh, level curriculum. Uh, it was, you know, created uh, to identify ways in which laws in this country are written uh, with the specific uh, intent to do harm to marginalized communities. Uh, things like redlining, um, things like zoning for uh, the highway system. Those are things in which laws and rules were specifically written to uh, disenfranchise marginalized communities. I'm um, redlining, if 
that, you know, is it's like the theory of that, or actually the practice, it's not a theory, practice that uh, banks would write specifically different rules for mortgages for Black Americans and, you know, for marginalized communities than they would for white Americans. Uh, zoning for highways would cut specifically through predominantly black and brown neighborhoods in major cities. Um, these are things that deserve to be studied. Uh, they are things that deserve to be rectified, re remedied uh, systemically. That uh, theory, uh, the critical race theory curriculum, uh, got usurped by a number of right-wing propagandists activists in uh, trying to identify ways in which they could fight back against quote-unquote wokeism. An educated populace is the enemy of those who like to continue to disenfranchisement of marginalized communities. And uh, it's pretty much been admitted to by one of the, uh, I guess, biggest propagandists, Chris Rufo, uh, is a uh, conservative uh, activist who, uh, in a series of tweets, just readily admitted that anything that is, uh, in their minds, deemed insanity or wokeism would become under the umbrella of critical race theory. And they'd essentially take over that term and pile on anything that they deemed problematic to their conservative vision as critical race theory, and then write the rules and the laws based on that propaganda. And uh, I call it that very specifically because that's all that it is. It's not actually rooted in any truth. Uh, it's, it's an educational platform not meant for six-year-olds, seven-year-olds. Um, but because they've got this branding around it now they can apply it to things that it does not apply to and you know they think that anti-racism curriculums in schools are bad uh they they want to say that you can't teach that because you make white children feel guilty and bad about their country that they grew up in basically saying like if we don't study it then we still get to avoid consequence. We still get to uh, pass on the blame to the marginalized populations, pass on the, the limits and the rules down to the marginalized. Uh, and this is happening now at all levels of the government. And so one of the, I think, conversations that I think is, is helpful in, in our sort of context and the way that I think we talk about it, uh, all of these types of issues is, you know, one is what is the right framing of our of a response to those that believe that CRT is bullshit? What is the right framing for that? How how do we actually go about uh, talking about how problematic it is? Right. So I'm. It's really more. This might be more of a strategy session than a conversation. Um, but then also, how do we? How do we ensure that a sound education 
on these matters uh, can take place in safe environments. The way you broke this down in, in the prep made me really be like, oh, snap. Like, so if you're a lawyer, like you need to know this, you need to have this context going into your practice, whatever. Um, and it's like, oh, but now let's just take money. Let's take lobbying. Let's take branding. Let's create this thing and make it something that it's not and put so much money and power influence behind it that now it takes on its own, its own thing. And when you say like fabrication, when you say like, uh, words like that, I'm like, no, that's literally what this is. Like I never heard of CRT a year and a half ago. And then all of a sudden here it is. And like every conservative state is like, we don't want to teach anti-racism in our classrooms. And I'm like, you don't, you don't, you don't teach it. And the reason that you don't teach is because I know as a black man growing up in Nebraska, where I grew up, I didn't know about any of these things about the highways and the redlining. And so imagine my mindset when I get to a place and I'm in New York and all these black people are telling me like, like you're, it's not that I wasn't awake. I just wasn't given the information. I was looking at them like they were crazy. Well, Shabu, like I was looking at black people that were telling me that like racism it has impacted everything that has gone on in this country. I was like, ah, like that's not my experience. But what I had to understand is that like, just because it wasn't your experience doesn't mean it didn't happen. One of the things that has come out of this is these book bannings, right? They're banning uh, Dr. Ibermax Kendi's kids book about things. They're banning um, all these representative books. And when you're early, that's really it, is just get the representation started that you, Lamar, would have seen, you know, maybe more, you know, black males in kids' books when you were growing up. Just that, just that, that beginning, because it's also reality, like representation is reality. And so getting that level, they don't even want that because they want your upbringing. They want it to be blind. They don't want then to take the representation that they that that you know matters in the early education they don't want it to turn into you finding out about the, the Tulsa massacre they don't want you to figure out that buffalo was quite literally buffalo new york was quite literally cut in half because they built the highway directly through the 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 black neighborhoods they don't want you to know that and everybody says how is a highway racist right that was one of the big things and it was like you idiots, it's not the highway that's racist, it's the people that wrote the rules of where they build the highway. And in, and and you read the a book I have on my desk right now called The Power Broker, right? There was a speech by Pete Buttigieg who was talking about The Power Broker. The Power Broker is this book about Robert Moses and how he built New York City and a lot of that infrastructure was was built around his theories. And he quite literally admits to building highway tunnels low enough so that buses that carried predominantly black and brown people could not get to the beaches in New York City. They don't want you to eventually draw the lines between the representation of early education and the, the true relationship with race and the problems that all of the, you know, the power dynamics have created in this country towards race. Will, early in this, you asked or, or you framed it in a way that was like, this could be a conversation that's more about strategy than, than a lot of things, yeah. right? And, and, yeah, yeah. and I, I think that 
one of the, it, I, I say, I think here, right. Cause I, cause I don't know, right. Cause we're, we're in the midst of this thing. It was like, will this work? Will these strategies work? But I, but I think a, a general strategy for any time when it's like, well, how do we move? How do we move people? How do we move the conversation along? Like, how do we create momentum is really like focusing on like the middle mass of people. Right. I think I've, I've talked a lot about this in like education, right. The way that like systems and supports are offered in an educational context is like, they're often framed on either your like highest functioning 10% of young people or like the most challenged, most disengaged 10% of young people, give or take percentages. And then there's a whole bunch of young people in the middle, right? That it's like, you know, maybe they have some access to certain resources and things like that. But a lot of attention when we're talking about interventions are not focused there. They're, they're focused on the extremes, right? And I think when we talk about, you know, how do we, how do we move masses of people and, and something like CRT, which has very much become a politically charged topic here in our society is like, we've got extreme ends of people, right? And I think so often the coverage thus far has been focused on the fight, right? The, the people that are really fighting this thing that have these really corrosive ideas, like are getting a lot of airtime. Who are the people that are willing to have the dialogue rather than focus on the 10% of people that have these ideas that are incredibly corrosive. They're committed to those ideas right now and moving them is just not going to happen. Roots of the other topics that we talked about uh, uh, many times on this podcast, which is just a, a pure disinformation campaign of like, let's make something what it isn't, right? Let's make something what it isn't. And let's prove it through these anecdotal and maybe even sometimes flat out lies uh, that are just not, you know, not helpful to the, to the wider conversation. I think about, you know, these school board meetings where people are talking about you know, things that just don't happen. Like there's just things that are being discussed and they're, then they're rooting these changes at these school board levels where, you know, it, it, they're just talking about things that just don't happen or, or, or they're, they're, they're rooting these, these, these things. And, and that to me leads to the, a wider, like societally, we're starting to lose the thread on truth of like, what really happened and and a lot of it can be drawn all the way back to how we buried our history of racism in this country and and how we tried to there was this there was this amazing and i and i maybe i'll have to find a link to it at some point but there was this amazing um critique video done online recently where they took a picture of all of the quote workers of the railroad that when it finally connected at the middle point of the United States. So the crew coming from the West and the crew coming from the East, they took this picture when they finished that part of the railroad. It was all white people. It was all white people. A lot of people, most of them were actually Chinese. They were they were the people that were actually doing the work. They completely whitewashed the photo. Now, some of them were Irish, the Irish people who had been marginalized and sent off. There was a combination of those two things. This was, we're talking, you know, early 1800s, all the way till now where the photo, if you look at that photo, it just looks like a part of white history. And woo, look at us, we did that. No, we didn't. That was, they literally removed all the people of, of color or, you know, of marginalized communities out of that photo to take that picture. 
And it's just like so emblematic of where this all started from is like how we don't allow ourselves to uncover the truth of that photo and all the other truth of the, the is mind-boggling. It's it's mind-boggling to me. I often wonder about it. it goes back to a point you made, Will, which is like the, the argument, you know, at these school board meetings or or that we hear, you know, on whatever news outlet, right? Around it, you get these parents, you get these folks that are saying, like, oh, well, our kids are made are being made to feel bad or feel shameful about their identity. And, and my question, or, or I, the place I go to is like asking questions of like, well, like what is that? shame about like let's talk about that what's what's the shame that they're feeling as a result of learning something about uh the entire history of the united states of america and not just the whitewashed glossy version like why why does a why does something that was you know really heinous that was done to a group of people why does that make them feel shameful exactly what's the conversation that you're having with them about why they're feeling shameful and are they feeling shameful or are you just projecting your stuff on there right, right. Is, is this about your kid or is this about you the kids are like yeah we get it and it's still the politicians the adults the parents that are like this is not how we want it to be and it's like but the kids are like i'm i'm good like <laughs> like i'm cool you know i think it actually speaks to to a certain extent lamar to something that you said at the top of this which was like you didn't learn this and so the parents who were likely in your, you know, not your specific classroom, but like, or probably right around the age of all of us didn't learn it. And so their truth has now been already skewed. Mm. Their truth has already been skewed. So then they say, that's not what I learned. It's like the new math conversation. You remember when that, that was an issue? You guys might not have seen this, but like they changed the way that you kind of like logically do math equations like within the last couple of years oh, it's yeah. just like they, they do it in blocks it's like tens yeah. and fives and so they know they, how they, to do it exactly so yeah. they know how to do it and yeah. it's more algorithmic yeah. rather than what we were doing which was just memorization <laughs> well parents freaked out they freaked out because that's not the way i did it so i can't help my kids in homework the parents don't have the tools to have that conversation about the shame that you just talked about because they didn't learn the things that we talked about. They didn't get the proper representation. They didn't get the the basic facts right because it not only made white people look bad, it made the country look bad. I remember distinctly in a conversation around race in a DI conversation where I said across the room to all the people that were thought the differently differently than I, and I know she remembers this, I was like, everything can't be racist. And they were like, no, everything is racist. <laughs> like, it's racist. And I was like, my mind was blown at that moment. And because I just, I, I, I just didn't understand their argument about like, I don't even know what the conversation was, maybe around like servicing black students of color uh, and not, you know, recognizing like just what their experience has been or, you know, just trying to like be white savior, white complex, that kind of thing. Um, and I'm like, look, man, we're just trying to help these kids, period. And not, you know, recognizing the other half of that conversation. And so, yeah, it was that that kind of led me to be like, all right, if they feel so strongly about this, why? Let me, why? Let me ask that question. And so I started asking questions. And that's when I got exposed to like prison, school to prison pipeline. That's when I got exposed to redlining. That's when I got exposed to 
the origins of the, the police in America, like all these different things that don't get taught to you in history books, in public schools. And I was like, oh, okay, now I get it. Lamar, thank you for sharing that story. I do remember yeah. that moment vividly. Uh, you know what, Wait, what, Shibu, but what? But the key part of that moment was, would it, were, were you sitting next to Lamar being like, yeah, not everything's oh, racist? Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. 100%, I was sitting next to Lamar. Let me be clear. I was not going to say anything at that moment because no, you could not. Yeah, you, there, there is. They already assumed what you thought. Yeah. Right. I probably would have been, I want to be very clear. I would have probably been on the exact same. I had, I, I didn't, I didn't think that everything was racist for a very long time. Yes. And and still understanding that, right. To your point, Lamar, like there, there is a, there's a learning, there's an education that, that we're getting in real time as, as adults. Right. And I want to take that, that, that feeling of shame at face value and say, okay, maybe people are feeling shameful. Maybe there are white parents and white young people that are feeling shame. And I would say then that shame at the root of it is not dealing with the guilt that is felt by an entire society, an entire country that has yet to reckon with its racist, misogynistic, corrosive, capitalistic society. Right. And until we actually reckon with that in really tangible ways, have those dialogues, have those conversations, that feeling of shame you're talking about is going to be there, whether you think it's because of CRT or it is another fear mongered boogeyman that somehow comes about from, you know, some group of people that are just trying to keep you in fear rather than reckoning with the real guilt that we might be feeling collectively because of that history. The people who are blind to the reasoning why they're feeling the way they are it uses a lot of times the excuse not me well it's not me i'm not the racist one i it's not me so why would i teach this racist history because it's not me thing that bothers me in particular about the national discourse is that the lack of accountability of the the not me response because it does it does just speak to one acknowledgement that there are were problems there are problems right because they're saying i'm acknowledging but it's it's not me so you want to push it away and and so then that then that tries to push the accountability away for the history of it the education of it and say oh no i not me. but then what it does is it completely avoids the collection of of knowledge, and and then it goes to, and this is this is a maybe an entirely different podcast episode altogether, but goes to the anti-intellectualism of the whole the whole bit that there is the that they don't want to know what they don't want to know, they don't want to be educated, they they actually take pride in the avoidance of continued education. It's anti-intellectual. It's also anti-introspection, right? Like that yeah. the kind of thing yeah. you're talking about takes a little bit of reflection. And I'd say that like, that's reflection that all of us end up having to do, right? Like as you were, as you were telling that story, well, as you've been laying out this conversation around critical race theory and just how problematic it is, you know, I've thought that there have actually, there have absolutely been times, you know, in my life, right. And, and we'll continue to be where like, I have to stop and call into question and ask myself like, okay, 
like what is what is an idea that I, I have had that is either racist, misogynist, whatever, like what's an idea I have? And like examine that and say like, how might I have acted on that? And realize that like, there are things that are like totally unconscious or subconscious that I've done and be like, oh, that was based on some sort of ridiculous racist or misogynistic idea, right? And, and maybe I didn't do it to anybody directly to harm them. I think that's oftentimes where this conversation goes. Like, well, it's not me, I'm not directly harming this black person or this woman or whatever, whatever the group is that is being marginalized. Like I'm not hurting any one person directly. It's like, that might be true, right? Like, and there are probably ideas, not probably, there are ideas you have that all of us have that are problematic, that we have acted mm -hmm. on in some way that are harmful in some way or another. And, and we have to reckon with those things. A couple of years ago, and so I actually offered a, like an hour workshop on race, racism, and white privilege. And, um, and a number of these conversations were for white people to come get a better understanding of like this exact conversation around like the things that existed that just didn't exist in your world and the privilege that exists in you living the life that you've lived and not that you need to feel bad about it, but that these are just things that happened and that it's real. And you need to understand that your position in the world, not always, but in some cases is a result of your benefit of just being a white person. And it doesn't mean anything else besides it happened. And you need to recognize that it happened. I realized I want to share one other origin story, maybe of like where I started to really recognize this. And, and, and I will just say, it, I think it's probably the most problematic I've been on this particular topic was from, from work right after George Floyd, trying to be open to the dialogues that needed to happen, trying to be open to all that. I ended up really isolating my one Black teammate and leaning too heavy on her experience and their, you know, their experience and trying to educate myself through her and, and being uh, really problematic in, in my own education of it. it really sort of strained our relationship to a certain extent. So I, I have a lot of regret over how that sort of initiated, but I think through that process, I learned, I had to internalize my learning considerably after all that, knowing that I've, you know, just done something that is fundamentally the wrong way to educate yourself on this and, and you know, apply that burden to that because it, it really, you know, it, it became, uh, uh, you know, I, I thought that, I thought that there was going to be some answer or some comments or some conversation, a singular conversation that was going to happen, that was going to, you know, enlighten everybody. And it was just like, no, dude, it's always, it's always and forever talking about all of it. It's not one, can't get it. You can't, can't just have one conversation and move on. Can't just like, set the table and say like this is this is what we're going to talk about today and then we're not going to engage any other way it's 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 the constant chug the constant churning of the engine of engagement uh a lot of times accountability those sort of things that are really going to make progress i'm, I'm actually interested too 
Will, based on what you just said, your origin story, Shabu, I, I oftentimes look at you as, as king progressive white man. All things, all the time, across the board. But I'm interested to know like your origin story as well. Like, have you always been that way? Or when did you decide like, you know, like I actually believe in all these different things. Like, or when did you have to have a similar experience that I had or will have that said, oh, what, you know, you, you had opened your eyes to something. Well, I, I appreciate that acknowledgement. I think it's one of the areas in life where it's been really beneficial that I can be really critical of myself. You know, I think well, this is something that Will and I have, have shared a long time as, as people that have known each other for 30 plus years. Like we're, we're incredibly critical of ourselves, right? And I think that there are some times where that's challenging, problematic. There's some times where it's really helpful. And I think uh, in this area, I, I think it's really helpful to, to be reflective in that way and say like, listen, there is, there is likely uh, a lot of things I've learned, whether it was you know through school, through media, there is learned behavior that is in some way, shape or form uh, directly and indirectly harmful to people I really care about. I remember this one summer where like things sort of just kind of cascaded for me. One of my very best friends, like we were at a party and we ended up having to call the cops because this group of white dudes showed up to the party and were stealing stuff from a bunch of the girls in the, at the party, right? And so, and my buddy was uh, the only uh, person of color, black man, right? And so uh, also the biggest person there as well, right? And so we ended up calling the cops. Uh, my buddy ended up trying to like get the kid kids to like give back stuff. And as the cops show up, right? Like they, of course, like immediately go and question the big black man, right? Like, even though there are plenty of us there saying to them, no, it's that group of white guys over there that are stealing things. They didn't listen, right? They didn't want to listen. And they, and they really? harassed them. They harassed them for a solid half hour, right? Until finally they're like, oh, okay. We, we've finally heard you after a half hour. Magically, we, we just finally heard the things you've been saying. So this moment happens, right? And I think it's important to understand, like, even at this time in my life, I'm still working with young people, right? And it, primarily young people of color working in communities where it's majority young people of color. Uh, I then found myself a few days afterwards, like walking around. I was in New Haven. That's where I was living at the time, walking around. And I caught myself, it was at night, crossing the street because I saw a, an, a larger Black man walking on the same side of the street as me at night. And somehow, that was frightening. That was scary. And I crossed the street. Right. And it took me, it wasn't in that moment. It was probably the next day, like reflecting and being like, what the fuck was that about? Like, why did I do that? Because here's a guy that I love dearly. It could have been my best friend walking down the street. And because it was dark at night, because there were these ideas of, of a scary black man that are, you know, perpetuated in our history and our media and in every day, unconsciously just cross the street, subconsciously across the street. And like, I think about moments like that. And there are plenty of them where I realized, okay, I see the problem, yet I'm also part of the problem. Like, and I clearly have an impact because I work with young people of color. So what could be going on in my head that I don't even understand totally, but is going on as a result of whatever learned behavior, whatever ideas were there. Right. And so I think that that was a real moment of like clarity around, like, there's going to be a lot of work to do to unlearn that, to show up in different ways, to not show up as the white savior, which is easy to happen in education as somebody who's trying to be progressive and still show up in that way. Uh, a lot of unlearned stuff there too. 
talking through the strategy of things, but then also acknowledgement of your own, you know, trials and tribulations. And like, we can have a, you know, conversation about how problematic we once were, and that's okay to have. And I think that that's where a lot of parents need to be too. like unpack a little bit of, you know, history both of our country and yourself and you might find something i would recommend everybody read the power broker it's 1400 pages but if you don't have the power broker and you don't and you are interested in politics or how this sort of thing manifests itself at a very large scale that is it for today's episode and for season four Thank you all for joining us, for being a part of this conversation. You know, Will at the top of this episode and, and really for this whole season, we've been searching for strategies, right? To, to confront uh, the urgency that is in front of us, upon us right now. And I think one of those strategies, and I think we, what we try to do here is to create spaces of conversation where we're challenging one another, challenging these ideas of whether they are racism, manhood, masculinity, other ideas that have often been oppressive of individuals and collectives and figuring out one, how to acknowledge those things, but also how do we move forward? So we hope that y'all have been moving forward this season with us. We hope that you continue to join us uh, for next season on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, because we will be back once again. We appreciate y'all. Peace.